0: Well, it's 24 days to Christmas, and you know, the weeks leading up to Christmas, it's going to be exciting because we've got so many things in store for you. Um, you know, last weekend, I just want to share something very quickly with you before we dive into the Word. Uh, it was an exciting weekend for us, also leading up to Christmas. Now, as some of you may know, last week we had the twin sleepover uh, for the 11 to 13 years old. We have a total of four salvation and three baptism in the Holy Spirit. And so we just want to give God thanks for that. Um, And also, on Sunday, we had the evangelistic uh, youth service. And uh, for the first time ever in history, we actually ended our youth service at 2 p.m. Can you believe it? Because as the youth just flocked the altar, and they just wanted to be prayed for by the speaker, and as the speaker just released a word of prophecy into their life, they just waited in worship. Uh, We have never quite seen anything like this before in our youth service. So we just want to thank God for what He's doing right here in our church. And we believe that the weeks right now, all the way to year end, It's going to be an exciting time together for our church. Well, the last time I preached, I talked about a table for two. And uh, I talked about how God has prepared a table for us in the presence of our enemies and how we need to be vulnerable before our God. This morning, it's going to be part two. This morning, we are going to revisit this table. But this time around, you will be confronted with choices. And the choices have every potential to change the trajectory of your life. But first, we need to make room for the Holy Spirit to speak to us. Everyone stay with me, make room. This morning, I've entitled my message, A Table for More. A Table for More. Let us pray. Father, we just want to come before you this morning. Lord, even right now, we want to make room. We want to create space and allow you, Holy Spirit, to speak into our lives, oh God. Lord, we pray as we look through scriptures, of oh God, let it come alive to us. Let there be insights and revelations, oh God. Holy Spirit, you are welcome in this place. We give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. If you have a Bible with you, let's turn to Psalms chapter 23, verse 5. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You annoy my head with all my cup overflows. Now, without a shadow of doubt, God has prepared a table for two for us. He wants to journey with us, but I want you to know this morning that our God is not a God of isolation. He doesn't leave us to fight our battles alone. So sometimes when we come to the table, yes, it's a table for two, we we, we commune with God and, and God wants a relationship with us. But there are times in our life, we need to trust God to place the right people, the right friends at our table. We're going to trust God for that. Let's take a look at the next verse. Um, yeah, the next one. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 33. Do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. You know, the type of person that you hang out with can determine the sort of person that you will become. And I think we need to ask ourselves a very important question as we take a seat at our table. What sort of people, what sort of friends will you allow to sit at your table? Especially when you are in the presence of your enemies. Because who you allow to sit at your table, they're going to have a lasting impact on your life. And it's crucial. So we're going to ask the important question. How then should I filter through who will I allow access at my table? I believe you can take a look at these four words. The first word is add, A-D-D-add. Add. Are the people at my table adding value into my life? The second word would be subtract. Are they making me feel small? Are they making me feel insignificant? The third word would be multiply. Are they bringing the best out of me? Are they multiplying my gifts? Are they helping me to grow in Christ? And the last one, the word divide, are they distracting me away from God? There's a famous saying that goes, show me your friends and I'll show you your future. And that's how important it is to have the right people at our table. And sometimes, we, all we need to do is just to pull a chair to our table, make room, be vulnerable, and allow them to speak into our lives. And that's what we need to do. This morning, I want to talk to you a little bit more about isolation and community. Let's take a look at 1 Samuel chapter 22, verse 1 to 2. Now, David left Gath and escaped to the cave of Adullam. When his brothers and his father's household heard about it, they went down to him there. All those who were in distress or in debt or discontented gathered around him, and he became their commander. About 400 men were with him. I'm going to give you a little bit of timeline right now. It's a very familiar passage again. You have David defeating Goliath. And then you have King Saul who over time grew increasingly insecure and jealous about David. So what he did was he repeatedly tried to kill David. But every single time when he does that, God provided a way out for him. And then you have Jonathan, the son of King Saul, helping David to escape from his father. But here's the thing. Saul was relentless. And as a result of that, David had to flee from King Saul. And then it leads you to 1 Samuel chapter 21, where it records one of the lowest moments in David's life, where he had to pretend to be a madman just to escape from other nations. And then comes chapter 22, verse 1. He withdrew himself into a cave. He withdrew himself into isolation. But yet, in the same chapter, verse 2, you see that 400 people gathered around him. And that's the presence of community right there. I want you to be very real, very transparent, very vulnerable with me this morning. How many of you here agree that life is tough? Show of hands. I'm telling you, the more you age, the longer you live on planet Earth, you realize that life is tough. Uh, As I'm approaching my 30s, I realize, man, life is actually pretty much tough. But here's the thing, we always have a choice. You can either choose to go through life stranded or surrounded. You can either choose to go through life in isolation or with the inclusion of others. And I'm sure many of us here, we, we, we struggle with expressing ourselves. We have this fear whereby if I express how I feel, I might be judged. As a result of that, we choose to live in isolation. I want you to know this morning that it is the enemy's strategy to keep you in isolation. The enemy wants to fight you in isolation. Now, the last time I talked about how the enemy is a roaring lion, that he's seeking for someone to devour, he's seeking for, to, 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 to just jump and pounce on someone, I want you to think about lions. Lions, when they hunt for food, they will never ever hunt after a pack. They will never ever go against a pack. They will always target the one that is isolated. They will always target the one that is being left behind, that has stranded away from the pack, and that's when he has his meal. That's the danger of being in isolation. So, how does the enemy fight you? The enemy fights you right here. The battle of the mind. All he needs is just to win the battle of the mind and convince you that isolation is the way to go about. Isolation is the way to go about being a Christian. Isolation is the way about to grow your faith. Isolation is the way to go about when you come to church on a Sunday morning. And if he's able to win you at the battle of the mind, guess what happens next? It affects your eyes. He begins to cloud your perspective And you begin to wield Christianity and church is like, you know what, Christians are hypocrite and things like this, and you go like, you know what, this is not for me. And from the eyes, it affects your ears. No amount of sermon nor advisors can actually help you, enter into you. And from the ears, what happens next? It hits your nose. You begin to suffocate as a Christian. You realize that you're not growing, You're you're not receiving life, and as a result of that, it comes down to your mouth. Because someone who lives in isolation, someone who has already been affected, The words that come out from your mouth, it defiles you. Toxic words. And because of that, it just fortifies what's in your heart. A critical spirit. And from your heart, it affects your hands. Whereby you say, you know what, I'm going to stop serving. I'm going to choose the path of isolation. I'm going to stop serving altogether. And last but not least, it's going to affect your feet. It's going to cause you to walk away from church, from God, from one another. And that's the danger of being in isolation. When you immerse yourself in isolation, you can be assured it's going to be a downward spiral in your life. Let's take a look at James chapter 5, verse 16 and see what it says. Therefore, confess your sins to each other. Pray for each other. We're talking about community right here. So that you may be healed. So that your immunity will be strengthened. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective you know i'm not just talking about any community right here i want to be very specific this morning i'm talking about christian community i'm not don't get me wrong i'm not saying that non-christians can't help us to journey through the dark valleys in our life what i'm trying to say here is that there is actually more to that if we allow christian community to journey with us The reason why we need to grant access to our pastors our leaders our brothers and sisters in christ people whom we trust to speak into our lives at this table for more is because of this not only will they be able to help us through the darkest valley more importantly they will be able to point us towards the god of the valleys because you see people can offer you temporary solution and help you to get through one season of dark valley moments But do you realize it's only a temporary fix? You've got to have a permanent solution to it. And the permanent solution is to point people always towards the God of the valleys. You you need someone to come into your life and say, hey, do you remember that time two years ago when, when God showed up in your life? He has been faithful in your household in your family and he's going to do it again you need someone to challenge you and 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 and, you know push you to believe that our god is a god who heals our god is a god of peace our god is a god of hope you need the constant reminder from the christian community that god is with you even in the darkest of valleys we need the presence of a community you know when you come to this table for two, and when you just sit right there and if you exercise wisdom and discern well and allow the right people and right friends to have a seat at your table, not only will they be able to help you the journey through, but they will be able to point out if the enemy is having a seat at your table because they know that the enemy is a roaring lion. And we need people like this in our lives. Do we have such friends, such people in our lives? Do we have wise counsel in our life? Do we have someone that we can call 3 a.m. in the morning and say, hey, I'm going through something. Could you just journey with me? We need people like this to strengthen our immunity. So think about it. Do I have such people in my life? And here's the thing about valleys, because... If you were to fall into a valley, you're not going to be able to climb out on your own because it's deep. You need someone to help you out. You need someone to pull you out. So church, don't do life alone. Don't do church alone. Don't do leadership alone. Don't do parenting alone. Don't go through valleys alone because you may come to church week in, week out, on a consistent basis. You might be surrounded by the Christian community, but you're missing the point. God's purpose for us is not to be surrounded. God's purpose for us is to be connected with one another. As, as, I just want to echo what Pastor Joshua said just now. We are here as a family. We are here to just help one another to grow and spur one another on. But it can only happen if we choose To be vulnerable and that's what it is you know when we come into the vicinity of cell groups prayer meetings the different services in our lives not in our lives in our church from children to youth to young adult to life group to the adults to the seniors guess what happens the grip of isolation ceases and faith arises we are here to spur one another on you know there's so much more to just coming together to church and gathering together the bible says when two or three are gathered in his name there he is in our midst where there is unity there god commands his blessing that's what happens when we come together you know why there is power in community because the enemy knows if you have wise counsel at your table he knows there is strength in numbers he knows there is accountability in community he knows there is covering in community and that's when the enemy has to flee because God is present among us there is wise counsel among us that's the power of community I want you to know this morning this table for more is a table of vulnerability we don't just gather at this table for food the last time I brought some grapes out but we don't just gather here for food and just you know bond with each other we gather for fuel. We gather to help each other to grow in our walk with God and say, I'm cheering you on. So, the choice is in your hands this morning. Isolation, community. Which will you choose? Which will you prioritize? Because isolation leads to desolation, whereas community strengthens immunity. I'm going to say that again. Isolation leads to desolation, whereas community strengthens immunity. I've never seen someone who thrives under isolation. I've never seen that before. You know why? Because isolation stuns growth. Community fosters growth. So in the middle of the message right now, I just want you to begin to make a decision right now. Will you choose isolation or will you choose community? Let's be very honest today, because today's sermon is gonna be really about being real, being vulnerable. The truth is, it's hard to be vulnerable, isn't it? I mean, I'm pretty sure you guys can agree to it, it's hard to be vulnerable. Especially how social media these days, it poses a threat to our modern day society. It decreases both vulnerability and authenticity. You know, think about it, everything that we post up on Facebook, on Instagram, revolves around things like this, the best selfie, the type where you have to slant yourself upwards to make sure your jaw looks sharper than ever, and then you go post, this is a great Sunday morning, I'm ready for church. We post the best things. And then we post the romantic side of relationship, happy 4th anniversary, BB. And then we post the victories in life, we post the joys in ministry, we post about the success in our careers, promotions and whatnot. Rarely will we post anything that has to do with insecurities, addiction, struggles, arguments, the ugly side of relationship, the arguments that take place behind the scenes. We won't post that. Now, I'm asking you to exercise wisdom, not just to post anything that you want on social media all the time you're sad and things, okay, because that's depressing. But we need to exercise wisdom. The reason why we only post the beautiful side of things is because of this. We want to paint a perfect side of us to the world and mask our imperfections. Think about it. It's true, isn't it? We are afraid to be vulnerable because to be vulnerable is to be open to attacks and comments, And we don't want to be on the receiving end of all those things. We crave for the sort of validation, acceptance, and approval from people. And so, we portray an edited, filtered, and perfected version of ourselves in front of others. We crave for likes on social media. For those of you who are on social media platform, if you have a Facebook, you have an Instagram, you will crave for likes on social media. But the truth is you are craving for love and for validation. Let's be very honest. So, Those of you who have Facebook, you know what I'm talking about. You post something up, you got to click in, into and see who likes my post. Okay, these people like my post, you know, I think they are a fan of me. Those people, my good friend didn't like my post. I think there's something on right there. It happens. It decreases vulnerability. I want to bring out some everyday life examples right now of how we wear masks in our lives. Um, all of us here, let's be very honest, we all wear masks in our lives. We do that at a certain point in our lives, when we feel threatened, when we feel vulnerable. But there are some masks that we wear, it's not so much, it doesn't really do a big deal of damage. For instance, the first one, I would call this magnitude maybe one kind of thing. It's not really serious. Now, those of you who know, I love to go to this particular coffee shop at Rahang New Village, and it's called, louder, louder, Dragon Phoenix. Now, for those of you Christians right here, you might be wondering, how can you as a pastor and Christian go to a place, Dragon Phoenix? Guess what? We go there and slay the dragon and phoenix, and then we eat right there. That's what we do, okay? But jokes aside, um... We go there and every single time I'm there, I'm either with the youths or with my fiance and we always bump into Agapians, like almost every time. And so Agape is pretty much famous to be generous, we are blessed to be a blessing and I have been on the receiving end of some of your blessings as well. So what happens is, you know, you bump into each other, you sort of know if people would pay for your meal sometimes, you get what I mean? You know what I'm talking about? Okay, stop pretending, everybody. I, saw, I see some of you laughing. You know what I mean. So, a few times church member will come over and pay for my meal and uh, I, I will say thank you so much, really appreciate it. And then the moment they leave, this is what happens. Maybe you do it as well. You look at your left, you look at your right, you make sure they leave the place and then you turn to the people that you're dining with, I should have ordered more, la. right? <laughs> I'm very sure some of us have said that, right, at some point. You see, just like this, sometimes we sort of mask our emotions a little. But you see, it's not that harmful because we mean it as a joke. But there's a second thing that happened um, that I want to bring out again. This is my personal story. Remember last week, Pastor Ignatius showed you guys a video of how to make a crispy, succulent, siu yolk roast pork? And he drew a lesson out of it. I mean, that was amazing, right? This morning, if you have your sermon notes with you, you might want to pan down a recipe right now and think about cooking this for this Christmas season. We're gonna take a look at this video, none other than Chef Gordon Ramsay. We're gonna teach you how to make a medium rare steak.
1: Right, the guide to cooking a perfect steak, hot pan. The secret here is to make sure that we literally sear the steak and not boil it. Season it first beautifully done. Get some nice, large grains of pepper so you've got a nice bit of heat. Mop up all that seasoning and sort of push in. The foremost important part is to make sure you take them out of the fridge 20 minutes before you actually start cooking them. Cooking a steak that's stone cold in the centre, you're going to have to overcook it on the outside. Pan's just started smoking. Touch of oil in, roll that round and then just lay the steaks away, always away from you. And let the pan do the work. That's the kind of noise you want to hear in the pan every time. That nice sear. Again, pair of tongs. Turn it over very carefully. Literally 30 seconds in the pan, you can see the colour. Beautiful. That layer of fat on the back of the sirloin, you want to render that down as well. That's it there. So, hit that into the pan. Use the pan to your advantage. Tilt the pan, let all that hot fat, olive oil run down the back, and it starts to sear the steak even better. Put a little bit of garlic in. That little flavour of the steaks. Doesn't need to be peeled, you just lightly crush and then. That gives a really nice flavour to the steak, turning every minute so you've got that nice even colour. And if you're turning your steaks every minute, it starts to cook evenly. A little bit of thyme, it's really nice to get that nice fragrant, Just of thyme. And a touch more. I quite like my steaks rare, so rare is here, opposite the palm, at the top. Medium is there, and well done is at the top of your wrist. And now I'm going to start off with my butter, little knobs of butter, and this is where the steak starts to take on a completely different flavour. Tilt the pan, then just baste the steaks that fried thyme, that garlic, nothing's burning and that's why we started off with olive oil, get the garlic and sort of brush the garlic over, off with the gas. Take them out, beautiful. Let them rest, and off. And then from there, slice. Rare, going on to medium rare. Mmm, delicious.
0: You are allowed to take out your handkerchief and wipe your sliver off. I, I hope some of you actually turn the page in your sermon notes and you start writing down the recipe. Now, the reason why I showed this video, it's not so much to draw a lesson out of it, okay? It's more of, uh, I wanted to tell you something very personal about what happened with this stick right here. And um, a few years ago, uh, Derek called me one day and said, hey, are you free to come over to my house? I need your help on the grills. And I was like, yeah, sure, no problem, and things like this. And uh, if I'm not mistaken, it was Pastor Ben's birthday. And uh, Pastor Ben invited a few close friends over to his house. Uh, There was Pastor Corky, the former BCM president, and his wife. There was uh, the Assistant General Superintendent, Pastor Ronnie, and his wife, Pastor Lisa. And then there was Uncle Dick as well. And uh, so, I was invited to the house and things like this to help out on the grill. And so, Derek actually flew in a whole big pack of wayu beefs. And if you know wayu beefs, it's an expensive cut. I've never cooked steak in my life before. Uh, if you ask the office staff, they know this about me. I don't like things that are not well done, kind of thing. Uh, I don't eat softball eggs. Uh, I don't even take any, like, medium rare sticks and and all that. But I'm in charge to cook. I was like, sure, no problem, kind of thing. And so, Uncle Dick actually taught me how to slice the wayu beefs. We are looking for the right amount of thickness right here. So, he told me, all you need to do is just to take up your index finger and just this portion right here, this is the sort of thickness that you're looking at a steak to ensure it doesn't overcook and it's not underdone. So I slice right in, pop it on the grill, put some seasonings, and then just begin to grill it and things like this. So I was grilling, 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 and they were having a good time together, and I'm very sure all of them, they were a big fan of medium rare steak, and so they were eating and things like this, and then Uncle Dick came up to me, hey, you've been cooking for a long time, how about you need to treat yourself as well, and so he just popped one piece of steak, medium rare, into my mouth. And I was like, I tell you, that was the longest chewing in my entire life that took place. I just felt that, that, that you know, that, that pinkness in the middle right there just happening, colliding in my mouth right there. And he asked me this question. How's the steak? Do you enjoy it? It must be really nice, right? And I was like, yeah, it's pretty good. And once I was done, I excused myself to go to the kitchen, and I remember just drinking some water and just to get rid of the thing. And then when it comes back, and then they were like, oh, it must be so good, right? I was like, yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. That was my episode with a stick. But the reason why I, I said that it was good is because everyone right there enjoy medium rare steak. And for this China man here, I like everything well done. It's, it's a little bit out of place when everybody enjoys it, and it's an expensive cut, but yet, I'm there like, oh, you know, uh, maybe it's not for me kind of thing. So I decided to just mask my emotions and say, yeah, it's pretty good right there. It happens in our lives. Sometimes, some of you maybe can relate to that. How about in the church context? You know, Christians are very courteous people. We are very polite. We are very civilized. So when you greet someone in the morning, good morning, shalom for those who are a little bit more spiritual. And then we go like, You know what's the first question you ask after that? Hey, good morning, how are you? And then the person's, what the response will be? Fine, thank you, right? It's like so scripted. But the flip side of it as well could happen. Sometimes unknowingly, we ask someone, how are you? Without actually intending to know how they are. Uh, Some time back, I was uh, talking to another friend of mine, another Christian from another church, And uh, we met each other, so, hey, hi, long time no see, and things like this, and then they asked me, hey, how are you? Just when I was about to tell him how I am, I I wanted to say, fine, thank you, okay, so I masked my emotions as well, but before I'm able to say it, he actually just walked off, and I was like, wait, I haven't even answered your question, like, and so I was just left hanging there. But you get what I mean? Maybe some of us here, at some point, we have done that to each other. Unknowingly, sometimes, when we dismiss our emotions when we constantly do something that happens on a consistent ba- basis that has become a pattern we are establishing mass in our lives perhaps some of you here you the prayer pressure is so real at your workplace that you you just think that you need to perform you need to please your boss and superior so you begin to put on a mask perhaps some of us here we have allowed the world to distort the true definition of beauty We convince ourselves that makeup is the way to make one person look even more beautiful. We convince ourselves six-packs is the way to look fit, to look acceptable in the community. Perhaps you have bought into the lies that (coughs) tears are weakness, (coughs) excuse me. Perhaps you don't want others to know about your broken past, and so you conceal your broken past, your weaknesses. Perhaps some of us here might be offended, backstabbed before, betrayed before. Offense creates fences and the fences oftentimes come in the form of a mask. So, what we do when we feel threatened and vulnerable is we put on masks in our lives. With the fear of being rejected by someone, we mask our imperfections. Spider-Man is in the house this morning, just a little bit overweight kind of thing. So, We mask our imperfections and weaknesses. We put on a mask and interact with people. We convince others that fake it to you, make it. Guess what? The truth is, you will only fake it, fake it, and fake it, and the cycle is endless. Guess what happens? You know, it's just like how you tell a lie to cover up another lie. That's what happens? And so we wear the mask to portray a perfected side of us. Here's the thing. You might start off well with your mass version of yourself and people might begin to like you. But you know what's the problem here? If you are living up to someone else's expectations all the time, there will come a time you will fall and trip. You know why? Because here's the thing about mass. It appears to mask your imperfections. The truth is it's clouding your vision. I don't see that clearly when I wear the mask. And that would mean it increases the possibility of me tripping and falling. Mask appears to insulate you. It appears to protect you from danger, from threats and things like this. But the truth is if you wear a mask, it only suffocates you. Because I was suffocating just now right there. I'm not going to mince my words. Could it Could it be that The reason many of us here in this room, the reason behind us putting on a mask is because we have placed our purpose in people, position, and purpose. Could it be that we have placed our purpose in people, position, and purpose? Think about it. Food for thought. I want to show you three possible outcomes when you constantly put on a mask in your life. I want you to just imagine, let your imagination one row, one row, run wow for a while, okay? Tongue twister right there. If I wear a mask and engage in a conversation with you, I'm faking it, right? When I fake it, one of the possible outcomes is it's going to cause the other person whom I'm talking to to wear a mask as well. But think from an outsider's point of view. When two people wear masks, they're talking to each other, don't they look funny? That's exactly what it is. But that's what we are doing. First one. The second possible outcome. If you are wearing a mask, it's going to cause the other person to feel very uncomfortable. Because if I were to wear a mask today, and I would come up to you, and come up to Sister Jasmine, and go like, hi, how are there? how's your Sunday morning coming along? Do you feel a bit awkward? Yeah? She's fine, right there. How about the rest of you? How about the rest of you? You see, when you fake a conversation, you fake a relationship, it causes people to feel uncomfortable. If you are unreal, you are not sincere in your conversation with me, I'm going to walk off because I know you're not interested in my well-being. That's the second possible outcome. The third possible outcome is the worst of all. At different juncture in our lives, we put on masks. And they don't even, we don't just put on one mask, we put on multiple masks. And so I have some ultra man, man masks right here. I wear a mask, I got two more masks, and I wear it. You know what happens here? I lose my identity in the process. You see, our initial identity, our first and most important identity, is. A child of god but because circumstances pushes us to wear different masks at different times in front of different people there are so many masks on us we have lost the identity i don't even know if i'm spider-man anymore or am i ultra man right now am i even a child of god it's like i'm confused right here we can lose our identity in the process if we allow masks to stay in our lives how many of you here have watched the recent movie of the joker Man, I tell you, this show is... Um, this actor right here who portrayed the role of a Joker, Yelquin Phoenix, I tell you, he put in an Oscar-winning performance. But this show was sickening to the core to me. I was very tempted to walk out of the cinema halfway watching this because it was too real. His laugh, right, laughter right there was a little bit terrifying and disturbing. But just a little bit of background for those of you who don't know who he is, he's basically Batman's enemy, Okay? And he grew up in a broken family. He grew up from a broken background whereby he was at a subject of being abused, subject of being bullied, and people rejected him over and over again. So, what he did was he had to paint a joker side of face that's constantly smiling all the time in front of others. But deep within, he was crumbling. Deep within, he was struggling. All of this just so to mask his emotions. And as a result of that, he killed and murdered everyone who hurt him before. Now, I'm not saying that when you wear a mask, you're going to go and murder someone, okay? What I'm trying to say here is when you put on a mask, it's going to lead to a downward spiral. It's going to cause you to really lose your identity, so much so that you are just so stranded, so astray that you choose to live in isolation. The masks in our lives needs to come off. Now, a few weeks ago, I don't know if you remember, uh, there was this pastor who came and preached, and many of you actually responded to the altar call that morning. Many of you just flocked the altar area. I was standing right behind there at the PA box right there, and I remember I was having a bad day. It's a Sunday morning. I was having a bad day. I I dreaded church. I dreaded everything that happened. I just wanted to go home so badly and said, I'm done with the weekend. I'm That's it, I'm really tired. The next day, after I have calmed down, I've cooled myself down, I have, uh, you know, when your emotions are high, don't do anything at all. Just don't do anything. Don't post anything on social media as well. But I decided to write a post on social media, on Facebook and Instagram. And I, I, I entitled it basically this. The next slide. Off day, mask off, red flags. And this is a little bit of gist of what I wrote there. Lethargic, overwhelmed, stretched, frustrated, exhausted. It came in the package yesterday morning. It's easy to challenge people to fix their eyes on Jesus, but I struggled to lift my hands during worship. I relinquished the role of a worshipper and took on the role of a spectator. At the back of my head, I knew it was a powerful sermon, but I switched off. People were having an encounter with God, but I was only near an encounter. I was only witnessing an encounter. I dreaded church. I dreaded lunch. I dreaded the weekend. I just wanted to be back at the comfort of my bed. And then I wrote, I cried out to God silently just this one time. Pitch silence. I told myself instantly, Jen, you got to get over it. You got an important meeting to attend in the afternoon, so buck up and move on. And that's what I did. But I, for one, know the reason behind why I was having a a bad day, an off day. I was on the verge of burnout. Uh, I over pushed myself in certain things when I was doing. And it came to a point where it was just so hard to worship that day. And seeing different individuals in the church lifting their hands in worship and things like this. And as a pastor, I was thinking to myself, what am I doing here? How can I inspire people when I, myself, am struggling to lift my hands? I I was wrestling with that quite a bit. But at the end of my post, I wrote a little bit more. And at the end of my post, I ended my post with this. Today, I'm making a conscious stand. It's perfectly all right to have an off day. It's perfectly all right to struggle, to wrestle with God, to be vulnerable, to fail, to reveal your weakness. It's perfectly all right. But just a word of caution. It's okay to be not okay, but it's not okay to stay that way. And I wrote this post with the intention to inspire people, to help people to see, you know what, Christians, we don't have all the answers. Pastors and leaders, we don't have all the answers. We are just like you, vulnerable before people. And to say that, you know what, if you're struggling with something, you can come out and, as well and say, you know what, hey, this is my area of weakness. I'm going to come back to this post in a while. I want to talk to you a little bit more about vulnerability. Now, to be vulnerable is to take a step of faith. And that would mean you would increase the possibility of rejection. Because the truth is, you can be vulnerable with someone. They might choose to either accept you or reject you and say, you know what, oh, okay, if, since you're coming from this sort of background, yeah, I think it's better for us to draw a distance. The truth is, it's going to happen. It might happen. But with that fear of being rejected, we conceal our brokenness and our weaknesses. We hide all the secrets that we have underneath this cloth. And we said, you know what, I'm just going to stay in shallow conversations with people. Why? Because I don't want people to judge me. Here's the thing. Problem, oftentimes, it will brew from within. If it brews from within, it's an internal problem. If it's an internal problem, Staying at shallow conversations will never help because you are scratching the surface. You've got to get into the internal system. If there is a solution, if, like, if you're sick, something is wrong in the body inside, you've got to pop it in inside for your internal system. Same thing, if we only choose to engage in shallow conversations with people, with Christian community that we are surrounded in, we're going to miss out. We're not going to be able to fix the problem. An internal problem requires the solution to enter the internal system and not externally. We need to get into deeper conversations with people. That is the reason why I mentioned just now God's purpose for us is not to be surrounded by Christians, but to be connected, where we can be vulnerable with each other and say, hey, this right here is my struggle. Will you please journey with me? Will you please accept me for who I am? and help me to be a better person from this point onwards. That's what it means. I want you to remember that there is redirection in rejection. You see, Joseph, he was rejected by his brothers. David, he was rejected by his brothers. And Jesus himself was rejected by his disciples. But what happened next? There was always redirection. One went on to become the second most powerful person in Egypt. One went on to become the king of Israel and one went on to become the savior and hope of the world in which every name shall bow, every tongue shall confess that he is Lord. Just because your vulnerability, maybe some of you have been trying, you try to be vulnerable with someone but they rejected you. Just because your vulnerability has brought forth some form of rejection, it does not mean that's the end of you. Remember, there is always redirection. You know what that tells me? If you were to be vulnerable before someone and they don't accept your flaws and your past, I want you to know that God is preparing someone that will be committed to journey with you. There is always redirection. And we need to tell ourselves that. Don't take rejection too personally in that sense. So while it's true that vulnerability does increase the possibility of rejection, there is always a flip side of the coin. Vulnerability creates accessibility for others to open up. Just now I talked about the post that I wrote on social media. As a result of that post, I have different individuals messaging me and commenting there, saying that, thank you so much for speaking up on behalf of us. Some younger ministers from BCM as well and said, you know what, that's exactly what we are going through, and we don't quite know how to channel and, and, and talk to someone about it and things like this. And I received some texts and said, thank you so much for just being so vulnerable and things like this. Our story of vulnerability has every ability to be a powerful story. As Craig Rochelle puts it, we may impress people with our strengths, but we connect with people through our weaknesses. And I want to add to that. We may impress people from a distance, but we connect with people. We influence people close. We don't just impact people with our strengths, we impact people with our weaknesses. It causes people to say, I can relate to that. Thank you so much for being so vulnerable. Hey, you might be going through something that I'm not going through, but I I saw a glimpse of it that I can relate to it. And then, they would just open up and say that. And one leadership lesson I want those of you who are in leadership to take note of, people would rather follow a leader that is real than one who is always right, than one who is vulnerable, than one who always portrays a perfect image of themselves. So I just want to very quickly talk about this again. The table for more works in two folds. We don't just make room for people to speak into our lives. We make room to speak into other people's lives as well. So we invite people to our table and say, hey, thank you for ministering to me but I too want to minister to you as well. I, want to, I too want to be a channel of blessing. In recent times, there are more people hurting in the world than ever before. The statistics are alarming. Let's take a look at this picture. The biggest picture right here is a happy family of four. The guy right there is Pastor Jared Wilson who took his life by means of suicide a few months ago. And what was shocking about it is that on that evening, he was playing with his son in the playground, tossing him in the air, there was laughter and there was joy. But on the same day, 11 something at night, he took his own life. The upper corner where you see four ladies sitting there, this is a little bit nearer to home, happened in Singapore. Four mothers came out, recorded the video, and talked about how their young children committed suicide. Bear in mind, their children are only in primary age. And that's happening in our world now. As a result of depression and loneliness. And then you have the last one right here, a Korean celebrity who recently took her own life because she just couldn't stand whatever's happening in the celebrity realm. And she took her own life. A few months ago, her friend who is another Korean celebrity also took her own life. What I'm trying to say here is this. There are really more people hurting in the world than ever before just a show of hands here, how many of you here, if you're going through a dark valley in your life, you need someone to journey with you? I mean, let's be honest. Hey, let's just be really honest. You need someone, right? Wherever you are, maybe a family member, maybe a friend. Likewise, there is someone out there who needs you to journey with them. Very quickly, Proverbs chapter 27, verse 17. As iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. God places the right people in our lives to bring out the best in us. God places, we need to just trust God at this table for more. We need to trust God to place the right people, the right friends, the wise counsel in our lives to help us, to challenge us, to go forward. We can't choose the seasons in our life, but we can always choose who we want to spend it with. So my question to you here is this. Will you make room for more at your table this afternoon? Vulnerability is not a weakness. Vulnerability fosters dependency on God, to trust God to place the right people at our paths. Just one very quick story. I know we are running a little bit late on time, but I just feel very strongly I need to finish this off and help you guys to be able to catch this. Right here is Justin Bieber, celebrity in US. And... He claims to be a Christian, he falls in and out of faith, and his pastor right here, Carl Lenz, who is the lead pastor of Hillsong, New York, constantly journeys with him. I mean, how nice, right, if all our pastors look like this? You know, there's a we right here. Yeah, mine is just not far off, you know, mine is just O, the alphabet O, but hey, it's still an alphabet, right? A few years ago, um, I had the privilege to be able to come up close with them. Uh, at the Houston Conference, and I saw they were being interviewed. And you could see there is just a tight bond between the two of them. Every single time Justin Bieber's fall out of faith, Carl Lentz will be there to pick him up. And right now, Justin Bieber is pretty much grounded and he leads worship in church and things like this. What I'm trying to say here is this. There's some of us here in this room. God has given you a capacity to make room for people. You can journey with someone here today. Will you make room for more at your table? Is there someone in this festive Christmas season that God is prompting you to journey with them? I believe at the end of our service today, as we leave, God is going to deposit a name in your heart today. Can I invite the worship team to come as we draw to a close? Second Corinthians chapter 3 verse 16 to 17 says this, "But whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the will is taken away. Now the Lord is the spirit. And where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. God won't bless who you pretend to be. You know, putting on a mask is basically dishonouring God. You know why? Because you are concealing truth. If you want to put it in a very blunt way, it's a sin. Because it dishonours God. But when we have the courage and choose to be vulnerable and say, I'm going to come to this table, I'm going to be vulnerable before the Christian community right here that God has given to us, and I'm going to just reveal what's underneath it and say, hey, this are some of the chains in my life. I don't have a a beautiful past. I was chained to certain addictions. I was chained to, to other things. I'm not proud of it. I'm ashamed of it. These are my scars. But if we choose to bring our pain into light in the presence of the community God has given to us, the healing process begins to take place. Church, we got to do that this morning, this afternoon. So can I invite you to stand as we draw to a close? It is in revealing we break the chains of concealing And when that happens, that's when the grip of guilt and shame is broken. That's when we're going to see a breakthrough. That's when we're going to see a victory happening in our lives. But first, you're going to bring it to light. I just want to speak this to you this morning about this mask. Every one of us here in this room, let's be very real, we all have masks in our lives. If you say you don't have a mask in your life, you are already masking it i want you to grasp this truth about mass you were not born with mass if you can put on a mass you know what that tells us you can also take off the mass it is in your hands what you want to do with it so this morning as we worship Will you lay your mask down at the foot of the cross? Will you choose to be vulnerable right now in the presence of wise counsel at the table for more and say, God, I'm going to lay down. I'm going to be real with my emotions. I'm going to be real with all I feel about my scars and things like this. And God, I'm going to allow you to speak to me. So you might just be one relationship, one mask away from changing the trajectory of your life. But first, we need to come clean before God and say, God, I'm a sinner. I have mass in my life that I need to surrender to you. So as we sing, I just want to encourage you where you are to lift your hands. If this has spoken to you somehow, connect with God and receive the mercy and grace of God and He's going to help you through.